Welcome to The Originals, a podcast dedicated to stories of those who make and do original things. Joining us by Skype on this episode of The Originals is one of our most favorite characters. We did a show alternate route with uh, him on the Esquire Network a little while back. His name is Matt Rannick. He is a bon vivant world traveler, world-class and world-renowned photographer, uh, makes a hell of a Negroni and cooks an incredible steak, and right now is riding a wave on having a best-selling book out called A Man and His Watch. Matt, welcome. Uh, First of all, hi, Brad. Thank you very much for that very kind introduction. My pleasure. Um, The... The book started uh, as this idea because I was running, I was covering the watch market for Condé Nast Traveler, where I'm this editor at large, and um, I just was, I was always loved watches, but I started running across all these amazing brand archive stories, all these kind of great characters and individuals in the watch world that had these incredible intimate stories about their watches, and it just seemed to resonate with men. And when Artisan kind of approached me, to, to do a kind of man-themed book. They didn't know what that was, and I, I frankly didn't know what it was in the beginning either. But I felt like there were such <clears throat> great stories that resonated in the watch world, we should, we should do this and treat it like a storybook, not just a monograph of expensive wristwatches, which was the only thing out there. And they loved the idea. Um, it resonated, obviously, with the general watch public because the book has gone crazy. And I just think it was a more intimate, emotional point of view about these little tiny machines that we wear on our wrists that we love. So, Matt, at this point, you've just uh, you've not written a book before. You have written a book before. You've just decided, all right, this is my topic, and I'm going to go after it. Yes, it's the first book. Artisan put a lot of faith in this idea, but I think they understood that it was one, again, that would resonate and a story that wasn't told out there. You know, you had all these kind of big pornographic, monologued, overly photographed books on single subject watches, you know, the most expensive, the single branded, blah, 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 blah. But no one had really put this together. And I was given the opportunity to do that. And it happened, I think, very organically. Well, you know, Matt, personally, I feel this bond of uh, a man and his watch. Uh, I'm not a big collector, but I did give my son uh, a vintage Rolex that I had had for a long time, uh, Oyster Perpetual, Datejust, Blueface, and um, there's just something in that, isn't there? It's true. It's true. Like, and, you know, the watch um, that I prefaced the book with was just this Datejust, a very simple Rolex Datejust that was my father's, and you know, he died, I got the watch, or I, as I say in the book, I think I just took the watch because I needed, I, I needed to continually, I needed to continue ha- to have a connection with that man. And uh, I do, I still do every time I wear it. And if it was not in my life, there'd be a big hole in my life. Well, you know, Matt, for you, I, I know it's not just watches. There are many fine things in your life that you're extremely fond of. So why don't you fill us in on some of the other things that you uh, maybe collect or just uh, gravitate towards? Well, I think, you know, cars are really important to me. I dig cars. I've always loved cars, the rarefied and the funkified. Um, I like simple, well-prepared cocktails. I like, you know, 
as I get older and in, in, in my taste in food and beverage, it's more and more simple, right? Like my last meal is probably a perfect ribeye in, in you know, the a classic London dry martini. Like those are the things that I really love. I, I put a lot of those on Instagram. I like, you know, in the men's style world, I, I think I live in the Northeast, so heavy tweeds and wools and like I always seasonally love those things. I would say my biggest satorial deficit is summer. I was like, what the hell do you wear in the summer? Brother, I was brought up in Harris tweeds. They were all hand-me-downs. I'm Scottish. They came from uncles and uh, grandfathers, and it just became my turn to wear them. And until I got to college, I mean, I honestly didn't know what it was I had and how amazing it was. Well, you're lucky because that, I think, well, probably, you know, Scots are very practical people, if not completely frugal by definition. And I think that, you know, that hand-me-down thing is great, but they, stuff's built for last, right? So I also, so, so I also am not into this kind of idea of disposable things. So I think a lot of the things I gravitate to now, and I think my dad said it best. He was like, you know, buy that one thing once, like don't buy it 10 different times, you know? So I, I focus on quality, not quantity. And, um, I, you know, I like everything from, you know, fine wine and cheap beer. And I think that, Travel is very important to me and the travel experience and is in the nuance of that. And, and that could be being stranded in an airport in Bari or some beautiful hotel in Paris. Like, I, I think it, it, it can't just all be concentrated on the aspirational unattainable. It has to find its, its pacing. And I'm really lucky as, you know, my job working with Traveler to get to a lot of these rarefied worlds. But I think in general it's good to keep a good solid head on your shoulders in terms of where you came from, you know, what this all means to you and what is the high low aspirations, right? Like cheap beer and great wine. Like that to me defines that. Matt, give us your background. Uh, let us hear how from these humble roots, uh, a man of your great taste has, uh, has arisen. No, I'm from upstate New York. I'm the, uh, the child of two first-generation immigrants, Italian and Eastern European. My dad was a sign painter, graphic designer. My mom, like a housewife and a and a had a beauty shop, like when she was in her twenties. You know, like you know, and uh, they grew up in that kind of first-generation immigrant experience. And um, you know, each generation interested in presenting a new set of rules in a new world for the next. And but my dad was a real bon vivant like he was a guy you know he loved british sports cars and he loved motorcycles and he loved you know belgian made shotguns i mean he who the hell knew where he came from with that stuff but he was somebody that like wore 501s and red wing boots during the day but had italian tailors like it was interesting juxtaposition of that you know and very, very hardworking and self-made, and um, but definitely understood the you know what some people would say would be the finer things, and and let's just call that in terms of food and beverage or whatever. But um, but I grew up hunting and fishing all my life, and kind of translated that to my urban experience as much as I can, and uh, and how you navigate the city mouse country mouse life, which is, I have this urban life and this urban wardrobe and this urban mentality, but you know, I can get out of that head very, very quickly when I'm in the country. And it's about 
whatever, like old boots, stinky dogs, pickup trucks, and canned beer, you know? Well, you know, the fact that you were genuinely living that life is what brought us to you and um, allowed us to go ahead and, and, and make the show Alternate Route. I mean, the William Brown Project... Uh, was your life from upstate, your life in Brooklyn. You were just doing this. And then we got together on a show that allowed you to go high and low authentically in many cool places around the country. You know, allowing myself to be vulnerable to all these experiences really opened up a lot of doors in terms of what those experiences were. And I don't know, I, I hopefully it gave other guys out there the confidence to not only explore, but sometimes you make mistakes in that exploration, but it, you know, you turn the corner and there's something exciting and new to find. And, I, you know, and that could be a great burger, a great men's store, an incredible personality, some barbershop, like who the hell knows? But I think when I found when I was traveling, it was much better to be unguarded than guarded because that's when all the experience came. I always felt you embodied the, uh, British attribute of travel. People are amazed, even in like streets of Brooklyn. Like, I just I reach out to everybody. I allow I allow myself the you know to be accessible and and to exercise that accessibility with other people. And I think you know it's it's amazing what comes to you when you kind of keep those walls, you keep those doors open, not, not guarded. And I and um and particularly with travel, like you know, sure, there's nervous, anxious parts but you know this happened just recently we were in the we were in Puglia uh I was there with Ferrari to test drive this Portofino this new car that they're coming out with and it started snowing it hasn't snowed in Puglia in 10 years and uh we get to the airport in Bari which I always thought Bari was a shithole and um they cancel the flight and we have to hang out there so we go have lunch in the airport restaurant which was phenomenal like, where in the world can you say that, you know, so we sat down there drinking Barolo, eating burrata and charcuterie. And I was like, this is the best airport layover I've ever had in my life. And then we ended up having to go into Bari and we had the most amazing time. It was me and a couple other colleagues. The city was amazing. We had incredible food. The landscape of the city was great. And I just was like, I fell in love with Bari. And all of that happened because of this, you know, like, well, shit happens. How are we going to make the best of it? And, and you know, you just have to be open to those kind of experiences, particularly when you're traveling and somebody throws you a curveball. And again, I don't care if it's Bari or, you know, Cleveland. You know, you kind of make your way in that way. And that's how a lot of the content from the show developed, you know, which was me being in a place and refusing to be idle. There's a huge hunger on how to be a, uh, a true gentleman or just even a man these days. The, uh, there's a generation that is just starving for the uh, old school insights. Don't you agree? I was really l lucky enough to have a, a bunch of men in my life, including my father, that kind of installed certain things that would be called gentlemanly, right? Uh, and it was funny, I, I, I had this list that I had to do for Father's Day last year. And I'm just gonna run through it because this is really funny. And I think a lot of these lessons kind of shape even the visual aspect of the, 
of my Instagram, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so my so I said the fingers the things my father taught me: be the best you can be, be gracious, be kind, under understand the power of the words "I'm sorry," be humble, shoot straight, clean your guns. Quote: It's just good to get out. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Um, fall in love. Be honest. Wear a Rolex. Travel. Explore. Learn how to drive stick. Fall in love with European sports cars. Shine your shoes. Appreciate the handmade things. Recognize the beauty of infection, uh, of in, not infection, of imperfection. Um, find a good tailor. Honor your kill. Things always work out, usually for the best. Say thank you. Man up. Fuck machismo. Don't conform. Enjoy a cold beer, a bottle of wine, a glass of spirits. Marry for life. Enjoy a Harris Tweed and keep your sense of humor. Well, you're very fortunate that uh, you were able to learn a lot, a lot of this at the hands of your father, and uh, it's great that you had someone to teach you that, and particularly in an appreciation for things that are handmade. You know, uh, in that regard, I go to um, I go to find cigars, and how often, you know, um, people just disrespect uh, not the cigar, but everything that went into making it. I mean, I don't look at them the same ever since I've been to compu- I've been to Cuba. I don't, I appreciate, I don't take that stuff for granted. And I think in general, when I do, when I go on a factory tour and I don't care if it's a little Cuban cigar uh, factory or if it's a big, you know, Swiss watch company or it's some car fact, like I become, or a wool mill, I become a super fan when I see that stuff be made. Like when I went up to Harris, Lewis and Harris for a story uh, about a year and a half ago, you know, my love, I always thought my love for Harris Tweed ran deep, but when I came back and watched from sheep to mill, how that stuff was done, I mean, I don't not think about every time I put it on. And I think that is, uh, it's important to kind of know where stuff comes from. Well, while we're in a mindset on handmade and we're a, uh, a heartland company here, just kind of what rolls around in your mind, what, what jumps out when we think about uh, American handmade, any companies, any brands, something uh, you might want to share with us? Well, I mean, we were talking about shoes. I, I mean, I think Alden and, you know, we've had shitty weather in New York. So like Red Wing, I think, are still great American staples that I, I love. Um, I, God, in terms of American made um you know, it's really for me as a Northeasterner and having relatives that really came from Italy to work in the shoe factories in the Northeast. It's uh, the Northeastern experience with the with shoes is is still prolific, and Alden, I would say, leads the pack with that. When I go to Brooks Brothers, I always buy the American Oxfords. I just like them more. Um, you know, I I have leaned more towards the European clothing experience in the last probably five years or so just because it kind of fits my body and it fits my lifestyle. But again, it's all very locally sourced and made. Um, and that's either Italian or London or the fabrics coming from Italy The the fabrics are coming from London and they're made here by a friend of mine named, uh, Jake Muser here in New York, who's a tailor that I use, who's just phenomenal. So very, very specifically small town quote homemade, but, being sourced from all this other kind of great stuff. I mean, let's face facts, like the American wool mill experience doesn't really exist anymore, but it still thrives in Italy. And uh, we've lost our way with that a little bit. So 
um, we kind of have to pick up speed in terms of like, how do you bring those two worlds together? And so my way is I love Italian fabrics and I think Jake Muser is a great tailor. And, you know, you can't get more made in America than your, your good friend in the West Village, you know. And we'll be back with our interview in just a minute. But if you are or know someone who is truly an original and have interest on being a guest on our show, shoot us a note, podcast at nocoastoriginals.com. Make sure to check us out on Instagram and follow our feed for pictures of our guests and other stuff we find originally cool. And now we return to our interview on No Coast Originals, The Originals. So, buddy, you're out uh, walking the woods. What are you? Uh, what are you hunting for these days? Are you uh, strictly in the birds, or uh, are you on ground game? Uh, what's been going on with uh, hunting lately? I did a fantastic hunt in Georgia, in Thomasville, Georgia, um, where they have all these plantations and they hunt in a very traditional way with, you know, um, mule pulled wagons. The dogs are on the wagons, and you're on horseback hunting these big coveys of wild quail. I mean, it, it dates back until you know, the 1800s hunting like that. And, uh, that was just a brilliant experience and, uh, one that I was very, very thankful that I had the opportunity to do. Um, but you know, I find myself having less opportunity to do that, um, because I'm on the road so much and there's all this stuff in the air. But, um, you know, I was in Belize fly fishing, I was lucky enough to kind of piggyback a story to get down to Belize and catch tarpon and bonefish and same Bahamas. And I got to be scrappy, Brad. Like I can't just take this luxurious time off anymore. It all has to like coincide with some quote unquote job. Yeah. But a big part of the job for you and, and for me is uh, telling stories or finding the stories behind things. I mean, that's really what you did with uh, a man and his watch. I mean, you know, there is a, a something, a role play, a, a, a fantasy life, or something, even just behind watches. That's why I love Rolex. Like, I love James Bond, and I love Navy SEALs. You wear a Submariner, and you're like a diver, right? You're this kind of Navy diver. You wear a GMT, and you're this Pan Am pilot in the glory days of jet travel. You know, like, you wear a Rolex Explorer and you're Hillary on the top of Everest. Like yeah. those, those are evocative things that I, I liked about those watches. And same thing with Omega. You know, you wear an Omega and you're a you're an astronaut. Um, I think that all that stuff is evocative in terms of the storytelling. And you know, I'm, I'm actually very surprised that there's brands out there that don't understand the relevance or don't know how to tell the, the their own brand story. I mean, I've been spending some time kind of helping brands do that recently, which has been great. All right. We're going to begin to wrap up. But uh, before we do, Matt, why don't you give us the, uh, the young gentleman starter kit? You know, just the uh, couple things you should have, the two or three things you should be into, the, uh, the story you should have in your background. Just uh, how do you start building that cultivated life? Well, I'd say, I think there's first things, I think, always trust two people in your life, right? Trust your, trust your tailor, trust your barber, and the third, which is the moving target, is whoever you're romantically involved with. But, like, your barber and your tailor should be honest with you, right? You're losing hair, that haircut looks horrible on you, you're gaining weight, you know, those kind of things, right? <laughs> I think that's really important. 
Because your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever your flavor is, they're going to lie to you because they, they should because they're, they'd like you, right? They don't want to hurt your feelings. But that's one thing. I think that's very interesting. I think you, you, you man up and you buy one great custom made to measure or something suiting or jacket or something that lasts a lifetime. Like yeah. that's, that's important. Um, I think it's nice to have one, even if like you have a kitchen where you, you drink out of Mason jars or, and paper plates. And I think the idea of one ritualistic glass in your life is really important. And if that's the thing you drink your Bordeaux with or your bourbon or your gin, that one very special, beautiful object that is only yours. Like there's something nice about the ritual of that and having rituals in one's life, I think is a kind of almost form of meditation. Like, I think that's great. And, um, in terms of reading, God, I'm such a lousy reader. I have like 10 books. I'm like 10 pages into, I think you all should read a man and his watch. I agree. And I think, I, I think that not only selfishly, because that means hopefully somebody buys a book, but there are just such inspiring men with inspiring stories in there that um, can teach us all a little about a little bit about relationships, falling in love, honor, care. And I don't know. I, I, all that I think I think all that stuff is in there um, with men that I think with some men that really probably unprovoked would never give you that information but it's something about the watch what a great way to end the show thank you so much matt um you know one of the true characters from one of our first ever television shows and also one of the true characters uh in my life loved having you on and can't wait until we uh well we either get to connect at petrosian caviar or probably see you in brooklyn okay i look forward to that with all due respect to Mr. Yates, the esteemed poet, we believe the center will hold. It is here in the center of America where we find a mindset, ethos, and culture native to the heartland. And it is from here that we scan no coast to no coast for the originals we feature in every show. 